Perhaps you've heard uh, 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding um, before, and uh, or perhaps you've seen it cross-stitched on a pillow. Maybe you've seen it, is that right, cross-stitching? Just stitching. Maybe you've seen it on a, um, on a wall somewhere, um, and much of 1 Corinthians 13 is, is beautiful. It's a definition by description of love. And yet, when I hear people read it at a wedding, a whole bunch of things happen in my head because I'm a weird pastor. But one of the things that it reminds me of when their first dance is Every Breath You Take, you know, the police song. Um, <laughs> where I'm like, do you, like, that's a, that's a sweet song, but then it's like, is that a stalker song? <laughs> like, and if you dance to that, I mean, great. That's your kind of love, very enmeshed. So I don't want to offend anyone that that was their first dance. But uh, because 1 Corinthians 13... While a beautiful definition by description of love was written to the most jacked up church in the New Testament. And some of you are like, never coming to this church again. He said the word jacked up. Listen, listen. The church in Corinth was probably the size of like this section of the barn. Okay? Just you people right in front of me. If you're listening to the MP3, picture 40 people. There was a man who was sleeping with his stepmom in the church. Just this group of people. There were some people who were suing each other. Paul starts running out of words of how to say, like, stop doing that. He's like, pagans don't even do this. Because he can't even figure out how to say it. They're judging one another for not having spiritual gifts. If you read 1 Corinthians 11 and try and picture imaginatively, so like it's the middle of a Law and Order episode, your brain is on, not off, and you read 1 Corinthians 11 and try and picture this church doing communion... Some people are drunk. Some people are eating too much at the same time that some people in the same room, just this little section of church, don't have enough food. And Paul's like, it shouldn't be like this. So then when he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, if you and I are in that church, we know all of this is going on. And it's that much more profound and powerful. And it should be on pillows. I'm not against that. It's just interesting to me that it is in the context of a very challenging, messy, small congregation that Paul writes these beautiful, beautiful words. I don't know what you think when you think of love. I got to be honest, the very first song that pops into my head is More Than a Feeling by Boston. <laughs> what about you? Did you just hear the word love? Do you just think of that? Close I can't hit any of the notes. Any Boston fans? No? Not 270s or 80s? Or you're like, you're so young. Some of you are like, who's Boston? Like the city? There's a band named Boston? And that's, that's how I initially think of love because I'm a product of my culture in some part, just like you. And that is why I hate the title of my sermon. And I wrote it. No one wrote it for me. Okay. Did you see it? Are you superb at love? And here's the problem. Like, we kind of like that. It scored really well on this site I used to try and create a title that might get the three of you that were like, am I going to go to church today? I'll check the website. Oh, that's an interesting, like, that's going to happen to like three people. So we use this whole system to, to create good titles. But here's the thing. Not once in the whole New Testament in the letters of the New Testament, is the word you used in the singular. 
I went through all of them when I was an assistant pastor and I had free time. Lead pastors have no free time. But when I was an assistant pastor, I had free time. And I went through all of Paul's letters, literally every one. Every time you see the word Y-O-U, it's you plural. So I know that my title of the sermon implies, like, are you superb at love? Trying to remind us that we can get better at love. But here's the thing. We, or as we would say in my home state of Oklahoma, y'all, we need to get better at love. When Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we love that in our individualistic culture. And because English is the way that it is, we miss the fact that it's like, no, work it out together in community, in all the challenging, messy things that are not just happening to the Corinthian church, but are also happening to this church. FYI, this is a messy and challenging church too. Not least of the reasons for that is because your pastor is a messy fellow also. So what's happening is we're going to take about eight weeks and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the fourth uh, vision series that I'm doing as the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And some of you are like, why do we even need like visions? Like we just need Bible and love. And others of you are like, it's been four years and you don't have a vision? What do you do in your study all day? And Listen, I don't know the community. I've never lived in a town where it takes this long to drive anywhere because all the old roads are cow paths. It's worth learning you people and your stories and you getting to know me. And so in 2014, we did a series on why why do we even gather? What's the point of one day in seven? What are we trying to do when we gather on, on Sundays? In 2015, I did an absolutely riveting series on polity. Why do we have trustees and deacons and elders? Because they reflect the character of God who asked us to learn how to take care of one another by ministering to one another with prayer and ministry of the word, elders, by serving and sympathizing with one another, deacons, by taking care of what he has asked us to steward, trustees. And why do we have members in the church? Because in the early church, they called those people that were committed to that place saints. We call them members because none of us would sign up if we called them saints, but... And then in 2016, I did, and I don't think either of those are terribly unique, nor do I think this series is unique, but in 2016, um, we did a series on the Ten Commandments that was also a vision series. And that's a little bit unique, not preaching on the Ten Commandments, but including it as part of a vision series. But here's the thing. God's commands to us are what love looks like in action. None of them have to do with his affection for us, but because of his affection for us, we follow And what that looks like from 50 yards away is keeping the commandments as best we can. Not to make him happy, but because he's happy. We long to learn how to carry his name with honor, the third commandment. To love well with our hands and with our words, commandments 6 and 8, etc. That was last year, you can listen online. And this year we're going to look at um, the do's and the don'ts of love 1 Corinthians 13 is going to give us about an equal number of things to do and not to do. And here's the thing. As a human being, you and I are pretty complex people. We came from different places. Our brains all work different ways. Some of you are far taller than others. Shorter. Older. Younger. Faster. Slower. 
taking something out of our life or adding something is very, 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 very difficult. And what the gospel of Jesus encourages us to do is not only take things out, but to then add the gospel into that place. Because you can't just take something out of your life. You know that, right? How many of you have tried a diet where all you try is to just remove one thing? Did it work? And if it didn't, if it did work, it's probably because you just added a little bit of other stuff around the side, whether that was water or salad or meat or carbs or whatever. I was talking with a good friend the other day, and he was on a new diet, and I was like, do you feel better? And he's like, no, I feel terrible. And I was like, being a human is complex. And what, Anyway, but the gospel of Jesus it, it says and implies and here is going to nudge us towards very strongly in 1 Corinthians 13 is that we need to grow in love. There are things we need to pull out and there are things we need to put back into ourselves and that is only possible through the gospel of Jesus, which is a living argument that fills us with hope and with peace and then the ability to love well God and neighbor. You see, the thing about Jesus' grace that I think you and I miss because something in the water, perhaps, that we drink or the coffee makes us think that grace is just accepting us as we are. And Jesus absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, takes you and I exactly as we are this moment. No need to clean up our acts before putting our faith in him and accepting his love. But his grace is bigger than that because Jesus not only accepts us as we are, he's so loving, he would never leave us that way. You know what I'm saying? We need to get better at love. It's only possible through his grace, but it's already happening. Here's the thing, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's already growing you up. In this, I still believe spending some time in the text will help us. I believe that because we have free will, we could resist. Maybe it's like Jesus in a Western, big cowboy hat on, kind grin on his face saying, you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Maybe that's the difference because I believe the Holy Spirit is unstoppably good. And for those of us that have put our faith in him, he is growing us up in these ways. So this is four for four. Supposedly, when we finish uh, this series, our elders will, will have some work to do in, in, in developing a vision statement for the church. And some of you are like, I cannot believe we, don't, we haven't had one. And we have. I just mean we don't have a new one. And some of you are like, does that even matter? You've been reading Bonhoeffer. He says, God hates a visionary dreamer. I kind of like that. I'm going to be honest. But this is a specific church called to a specific place. Our role as followers of Christ is a specific one. And so... We have some work to do, and I want us to be informed by, why do we even gather on Sundays? How do we do church? A church that believes following him involves following him. Ten Commandments, and then a church of love. What's love? That made me think, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> Just... Pull it together. Better words than that have been written about love. If you have your Bible, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men 
and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me? Father, would you teach us to love because we have been loved so well by you? Would you teach us to respond to your fatherly love, to the proof of that in the work of Jesus Christ, and through the indwelling Holy Spirit, would you teach us to love in this way? Amen. So vision of love includes learning. The full expectation of the New Testament is that you and I, and the, the whole Bible, is that you and I uh, are are being taught to love. The theological term for this is sanctification. Sanctification is you and I growing up. The way Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians 13 is that, that funny passage in uh, verse 9, t- or that funny couple of verses, verse 9, 10, and 11. For we know in part, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, when I became a man. And then verse 12, for now we see eventually face to face. Okay, I'm, I'm sort of picking up different words The expectation is that you and I are learning how to love. One of my uh, favorite authors wrote a book on this, and he called it The Utter Relief of Holiness. Learning to follow Christ in love for him and love for neighbor. Christians, by and large, are those who understand that they do not naturally know how to love, and they have a strong desire to do so. They long to love God well and people. So they put their faith in Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to help them. Pay attention to texts like this, and then learn to insert the gospel and to remove the things that Paul says are not love. So what are you and I learning if you're a follower of Christ? And if you're not a follower of Christ, this is the offer. Among other things... And the main offer is being saved from death. 
into life with God forever. But the offer for your Sunday afternoon is to learn a life of love. So what are we learning? Patience and kindness. We're learning to remove envy or boasting. We're learning a new way instead of arrogance. We are not rude. We learn not to insist on it on our own way or be irritable or resentful. How are you doing? In the last 30 hours, I'm not doing so great with this list. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I, I'm doing great. Are you silently irritable or resentful? Yeah, me too. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. We're learning not to rejoice at wrongdoing. What does that even mean? Love learns to rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes and endures. I would like to grow in these ways. What's even more important is that we as a church grow in these ways. doesn't mean we're not interested in truth. That was last year, Ten Commandments, like we believe... God has a standard of his holiness for our good and for the good of neighbor. It also means we need to learn to love in this way as individuals and as a church. I'm not going to unpack any of these. That's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. We're going to unpack a good one and a bad one every week, like one thing to do and one thing not to do. So we're all going to feel kind of bad every week and we're all going to feel kind of encouraged. Maybe I could learn to be patient. Maybe I could extract arrogance a little bit by the Holy Spirit's power. I have one encouragement for you this week, though, that's practical. I've said this before. Most of you already know this. Very sophisticated audience, spiritually, emotionally, every other way. As a follower of Jesus, when someone asks you to change, you never, ever, ever get to say, that's just the way I am. I'm not saying you have to do what they said. But I'm saying as a defense mechanism to your parent, to your friend, to your spouse, to your child, the response does not get to be, that's just how I am. You know why? Because the, the, the whole of the scriptures, and especially this text and the words of Jesus, the, the other writers of the New Testament, full expectation that you and I will change. So we like to ask our people, do people change ever? It's a quintessential and a philosophical and a religious question. The Bible actually ignores that question. Full expectation that individuals and groups and churches change. They grow up. They used to love like children, and now they love not like children, is Paul's metaphor here in verses 9 through 12. So there's a full expectation so that when your parent asks you to call more often, I have no idea if you should. Okay, that's a different, you come to my study, we'll, we'll hash that out. But you don't get to say that's just the way I am. When your spouse asks you to notice dirt on the floor and you actually don't see it, You can't say that's just the way I am. Even though it really feels like it is. So what do we do? We get a little closer. Oh, you're right. There is dirt on the... That's fascinating. 
I will clean it. Silly example, right? But parents, when your children come to you and they ask you to love them differently, two things. One, that was hard for them to do. Okay? And two, you don't get to say, that's just the way I am. And you don't get to, in that moment, my encouragement with the text would not command you to this, but my encouragement would be don't tell them the thing that they did that made it hard for you to not listen to them. Just hear them. My uh, 11-year-old years ago told me that uh, when I sigh, she senses severe disapproval from me. And you know what's funny about that is I'm almost always sighing because of one of you. (laughs) Because I care about you. Not because you're bad, but I care about you. I come home and I'm still thinking about you. And I sigh. And uh, she's asked me, about that, and I have been unable to stop sighing, but what I have been able to get her to do is ask me why I'm sighing. And it's, it's helped a little bit. She's asked me uh, to love her differently, and I'm really tempted to say, sweetie, I've been sighing for years. This is just the way I am. No. Not if God exists and he made me in his image. And he has redeemed me. I do not say to her, that's just the way I am. I say, that's pretty hard for me. Can you, can you help me with this? Can you tell me when I sigh and then ask me? And she's, she started asking, taking about four, four years. I'm also trying to sigh less, but, you know, you guys keep having hard things happen to you. By the way, that's what stresses me out. It's not your, your silliness. You're also silly, but it's when hard things happen to you. So, anyway. So a vision of love includes us learning to love. It's the full expectation that we can and in fact will be grown up into better and better lovers of God and neighbor. The scripture teaches unequivocally that Jesus alone empowers this. See, it's not good news for me to tell you love is patient and kind. Matt, telling you love is patient and kind. You're like, well, I wasn't patient yesterday. Darn it. Or perhaps a stronger word. It's not kind for me to say that, you know, love doesn't envy or boast. You're like, well, I was boasting on Friday. Darn it. Love doesn't insist on its own way and is not rude. Love isn't irritable or resentful. I can be pretty darn resentful. How is this good news? Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. What does that even mean? It rejoices with the truth. Do I have to have a Twitter account to do that? Like, what does this mean? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Advice we would almost never give someone in relationship, and here's the Word of God saying it. Without answering all of the questions of what the positives mean and the negatives mean, mean of our definition by description of love this is good news because this is what jesus empowers fully 100 percent of the energy of the power of the ability of the cognizance of mind 100 percent of it comes from jesus who said i am the bread of life i am the way the truth and the life i am the door To what? This kind of life. I am the vine, which means he's the full embodiment of the nation of Israel. The trust in him is the beginning of real life. 
He said he is the resurrection. He said he is the light and the good shepherd. You know what that means? That God has always been patient and kind to you and with you. It means that the love of Jesus would never envy or boast and is not arrogant or rude. It means that the Holy Spirit indwelling your heart, follower of Jesus, does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful with you or with me ever. It means that God the Father does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. And it means that we are ones who have, uh, the Lord has bared with us, born with us. Thank you. It means that God believes in us, hopes in us, and endures. He endured the cross that he might endure with us forever. That's why it's good news, not because you and I can learn these things in and of ourselves, but because God has already accomplished them in Christ. And if your faith is in Jesus, he is even now growing us in these things. So we're going to spend some weeks looking at uh, love for God's glory, for the good of our neighbor, and for our own good, that we might become better lovers of him and of the neighbors that he's put into our life. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us to understand, to believe, to put our faith in your good heart as Father, in the work of Jesus Christ that has purchased this life of love for us and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is even now growing us up. Father, would you teach us as a church how to love well in Simsbury and the Farmington Valley and as far as you might call us to go, teach us to love well. Thank you for this definition by description of love. Thank you that it is in the midst of another messy and challenging church. I thank you for the men and women here whose faith is in you who you have been instructing and guiding in love for 50 and 70 years. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is even now filling us and who is unstoppably good in its plans and purposes for us as a church and as individuals. Holy Spirit, the one who is considering faith in Jesus, would you help them to know that this is the offer, is a life of love? And for those of us that believe in this, would you help us to believe more deeply? In your name we pray. Amen.